There's a few guarantees in life, one of which is I'm going to cry on D-Now Sunday. Amen. <laughs> you know, a lot of you know, my, my earthly father, like many of us, had many challenges. But man, is my heavenly father a good dad. Just to see, to hear our voices lifted to our king is an amazing, amazing thing. And to see these students and to hear their voices, I'll just tell you, for me personally, there's probably nothing sweeter in the world than hearing young men and women These kids sing to Jesus. Because I know those fears that we sang about in that first song or second song, the heartaches, the pain, the challenges, the suffering, the temptations of the enemy who comes to seek, to kill, and destroy us, they come after them. He comes after them as powerfully and as aggressively as he comes after any one of us. And the fact that they know they have a savior, they have a king who's worthy of their lives. They have a king that will not lose his grip on them no matter what comes after them is an amazing thing. And students, I hope you never lose sight of what God has done and is doing in your lives. What an amazing gift it is. And I just have to begin before we get to our text that Hudson read for us, just to worship. Worship the Lord as I just think about these things. You see, I can remember as I look at this room and this room is full, perhaps as full as it's ever been. And the Holy Spirit of God is here and we are worshiping him. But I can remember a day in the life of our church where just a few students gathered in the Cox's second house on Brook Hollow, I think. There weren't more than 10. Knucklehead Christian Norton might have been a sophomore that year. And now I look at him, I see what God has done in his life. One of the most faithful leaders we have here who's pouring into this weekend, our senior young men. I remember having guys over for breakfast early in the morning, pouring into students, just trying to build something. I remember our first D now. Some of you were a part of that. Looking where we are today, what God has done. I see Anna Fortenberry in a music video. She was once the lone, brave girl that would come with her class to D-Now, just seeing what God is doing in her life. I remember last Senior Sunday, the last time I cried in church, probably a lot, and now seeing 
half of those seniors, or probably more than half of those seniors that we blessed and sent out and launched, not just coming back here to serve in these kids' lives and the next generation, the kids coming behind them, but I watch you all, I see your lives and the impact that you're making on campuses all over. Amazing thing that God has done. I see a shy little girl, barely knew anyone, and her sister, slightly louder, now serving so faithfully one of them, which our intern Camille, just an amazing leader. I literally, I could go around with every one of you leaders and thank you and tell a story about what I've seen God doing in your life and how grateful I am for it. How grateful I am for you. God has been faithful to build his church. And for some reason in our church family, which I rejoice over this, he's done that a lot through our students, through young people who have come to know Christ as we celebrated nine more brothers and sisters we have in Christ today than we did yesterday because of what God has done. And God's faithfulness to us continues. Last year at D-Now, we introduced our students to Caleb as our D-Now speaker. And on Sunday morning of last year, some of you here remember, we told you that he was going to stick around and be our next student minister, our first student minister. And Caleb is a gift to us. He's a testimony of God's faithfulness to our church. God's faithfulness to our community. To see in just a year, this is in a sense his year anniversary celebration. Had he not mentioned the Cowboys, I would have given him a gift. <laughs> but he forego that, so that's staying in my pocket. You're not supposed to lie in church. I don't really have anything for him in my pocket. I just wanted to use it as a joke. But man, how blessed we are to have Caleb. And just another testimony that I think more than likely five, ten years from now, just like I mentioned a few names, he'll just be one of a few names that we mention and talk about and look at what God has done through his ministry if you're a guest with us, in our church here at City Church, we talk a lot about building the kingdom. We often pray, Lord, build your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven and do it through us. Use us. We talk about church planting because church planting, starting new churches, just as we started almost eight years ago, is the statistically proven to be the most fruitful way for kingdom expansion in the world. And when we think about that, I think about all that we talk about and mobilization and sending out and all of those sorts of things. And to see, as I just referenced some of these college leaders, these seniors, these kids who will go out into the world and do amazing things for the kingdom. God is doing what we pray and ask him to do right now. And he's doing it in the lives of these students and through these students. And so I just have to say, 
Lord, I thank you. I worship you. I praise you for all that you are doing, for building in your church. And I ask you, the Holy Spirit, to come and continue to move in us, even this morning as we look at this text. Help us to make our lives matter. Amen. All right, John chapter 4. There's not a clock at the back of the room. The Cowboys don't play till 345, so I assume that means I'm good. No, I'm just kidding. I know there are guests here. We don't want to stick around too long. We got to get out of here. I only have a few minutes, but I just want to share from this text some powerful things that Jesus teaches us. Guys, have you ever been looking around your house for something, looking for it? You know you can picture exactly where it sits on that shelf, two inches to the left, a little bit further to the back. You can see it there, but you can't find it. It's not there. It's there in your mind, but it's not there. And you ask your wife, hey, where is the... And she says, well, if you would just put it away... And you're thinking, well, I did put it away. I, I put it on that shelf where I knew where it would be. Kids, you've done that same thing. I'm sure you've heard it from your moms or your dads as you're stumbling around your room looking for that perfect shirt that you have to wear tonight. It's presently crinkled up in a ball the size of a tomato. <laughs> if you would just put it away. Life would be much easier if we did what we were supposed to do, if we did what we were created to do. Great pastor, theologian John Piper says, missions exist because worship does not. He said that when he was teaching his church and explaining to his church why we are called as Christians to be so passionate about going to those who are far off from God. And he, he explained to them through that quote, in a sense, that the reason we go is because worship is misplaced. People are not worshiping the Lord, and so we go to them to introduce them to the only one who is truly worthy of their worship. Habakkuk 2.14 says that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's a promise from God about what he will do, what he's even doing now, and it will happen. And the way that it will happen is that God's word is proclaimed, the mercy and grace that we sang about, the mercy which is more than any sin, is proclaimed to the world. And when people hear that, when they hear it in the depths of their souls and their hearts, the response is worship. And so we can know that when Habakkuk tells us that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will be as the waters that cover the sea, if we were to rewrite that in some sense, the sound of God's people worshiping will one day fill every space that exists. We will worship the Lord with everything. Parents, this weekend we've been talking about worship as you heard Caleb introduce and that theme, make it matter. We wanted Dean Al to matter, but more than that, we wanted to help everyone see that our lives matter. What we do with our lives matters. We talked about the fact that we are always worshiping. We might not be worshiping God, but we are always worshiping. Students, you may not know who this guy is, but since your parents are here, they'll know and they can fill you in. 
Even Bob Dylan knows it. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Our problem isn't that we don't worship. That's not the problem. Our students heard that last night. But that we often worship the wrong things. Like the Pharisees that Kyle introduced us to. The religious leaders of Jesus' day. Like them, we worship our success. We worship our prestige. We see prestige translated in our Instagram follower accounts. We worship our snap streaks. We worship acceptance. We worship our grades. We worship our reputations. We worship money. We worship our job title. We worship so many things. But we don't worship always the Lord. But we aren't the first people to get this wrong. We aren't the first people to miss who Jesus is. And here's the good news. Every single one of you who are here, all of us here, have an opportunity to see Jesus this morning. And to respond, perhaps some of us for the very first time, truly worshiping him. Meet the real Jesus and worship him. So in John chapter 4, you heard what Hudson read beginning there in 15, or excuse me, verse 16. Prior to this, let me set the scene a little bit. Jesus has been in the southern part of Israel, an area called Judea, and he's going north to Galilee. He's been sort of winning people to himself, and he's building a followership there, and so the Pharisees are starting to put a little bit of pressure on him, and Jesus, knowing exactly what he was doing, he needs to go to Galilee. He's going to sort of retreat to Galilee to continue his ministry, and between Judea and Galilee sits an area called Samaria, and Samaria and Israel, or Jews and Samaritans, they were enemies of one another. They hated one another with as much despise as anyone probably in history, any people groups have ever hated one another before. And so the practice was, was for Jewish people to sort of swing around Samaria, sort of skip by it. But Jesus, he had a purpose and a plan. He knew exactly what he was doing. In fact, he had an appointment with a, a lady at a well. And so he goes straight through Samaria. And he stops in this town. He needs to get a drink of water. And he meets this woman, known as the Samaritan woman, or sometimes referred to as the woman at the well. And this woman is amazed that Jesus, one, because he is Jewish, two, because he's a man, would be there and would ultimately speak to her. How could he speak to me? So Jesus begins this conversation. And what she didn't realize, that life that she was looking for, life that she'd been searching for, as we'll see here in a moment, in a lot of different places, could only be found in Christ. Her life, like many of us, was full of distractions. And this is why she didn't really understand what Jesus had to offer. She was too busy with so many other things. And Jesus is literally sitting right in front of her, and she almost misses what he has to offer. But here's the amazing thing about Christ. He doesn't leave her there. She asks him a question in verse 15. And when she asked him that question, 
her salvation experience began. Look what it says. The woman says to him, this is Jesus, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Are you thirsty in your life? I don't mean momentarily thirsty right now, sort of that feeling that you get on your lips when you're dry and you need a drink of water, but are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Do you, do you sense that there is this insatiable need in your life and you've been looking for it in all of these different places? This is what causes us to worship is that we think that these small g, lowercase g gods will satisfy us and like us, like she here had been drinking from all the wrong wells. She doesn't know who Jesus is, and right here she doesn't profess faith in Christ, but Jesus tells her who, she is, who he is. And he explains to her that this water won't satisfy her. And then he says, I'll give you living water, water that can satisfy. So as he does this, in verse 16, Jesus asks her this question after she asks him for the water and she's beginning to converse with Jesus and by doing so, beginning to understand who he is, he says to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying that you have no husband. You've had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. Jesus knows this woman more intimately than she even knows herself. Most people, by the way, Jesus knowing exactly who she is, not doubting in any way, not having any questions about her past, clearly understanding most people would think of a religious leader, and some of you may think to yourself, well, if a religious leader, if somebody like God, Jesus, if he understood who I was, he would, would condemn me, he would write me off. He would have nothing to do with me. But notice that Jesus knows everything about this woman and does not pass her by, does not skip over, doesn't avoid a conversation with her, but intentionally goes the way that he will have a conversation with her to meet her. A demonstration of the power of his grace and his mercy in the pursuit of Christ. He doesn't cast us off. He doesn't think ill of us. I understand that some of you perhaps have had an experience with someone in the religious leadership or some role that you viewed spiritually and they handled it differently than Jesus did. But I want you to understand the real Jesus sees everything about you, knows every detail of your life and he comes for you. He comes right to you. He comes to receive you and he comes knowing all that as Nathan said and read for us from Romans, knowing all of our filth, he comes to us to offer us everlasting life. This is the mercy that is more than anything that we could try and hide or hold back from Jesus. She probably expected him after hearing this statement from him. Surely, now that I know a little bit about who he is, I understand that he, as she's going to say, is a prophet. He'll write me off. But no, she understands what's going on. This man, who knows everything about me, is offering me living water. I've been thirsty my whole life. I thought I could find satisfaction in the things of this world. I thought I knew what I was doing. And now here is this Jewish man who's supposed to be my enemy, who comes and not only speaks to me, but knowing my sinfulness gives me an offer of a drink of water. 
In doing so, she understood exactly who he was. Verse 19, the woman says to Jesus, to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And because she perceives that Jesus is sent to her by God, she wants to ask him a question. Because see, she knows, again, she knows her need. She knows those hidden things that she's tried to hide from God. But now understanding that God has sent someone to her, he asked, she asks him, how am I supposed to respond? How do I give an answer to God? And this is the source of her question in verse 20. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say, being a Jew, that in Jerusalem is the place to worship. Which is it? I know that you're sent to me from God. I know that what you're telling me, I'm beginning to perceive that it's true. And because I know that it's true, I want to understand what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to respond to God in this moment? My forefathers have always said we're supposed to do this over here, but I know your people say you're supposed to do something over there. How am I supposed to do it? She wants to get right with God. And she realizes if this man knows my sins, if he was sent to me by God, he'll understand, he'll know, what am I supposed to do? And she asks him sincerely. I think some people have wrongly thought that she was trying to divert Jesus away from looking at what she knew about herself. And maybe, hey, if I talk to him about worship and kind of get him away from knowing my sins, that would be a good thing to do. No, she wants to respond to God. The weight of sin is exhausting, isn't it? Trying to find satisfaction in the things of this world that are never meant to satisfy us, it'll beat you down. It's a heavy weight that we weren't meant to carry. She wanted to let go. She wanted to enjoy life. She wanted to have a life where she wasn't always thirsty. Are you exhausted, friend? Have you found the end of this world? And perhaps finally recognize that this world, one, is not your home, and two, has nothing to offer you that will lead to satisfaction? Are you exhausted? Or as you, the old saying says, are you sick and tired of just being sick and tired? And I know sickness is a whole thing right now, but I wasn't really talking about that. Are you just exhausted? Well, praise be to God in his mercy and grace. You're here and you're hearing the words of Jesus who says, I offer you living water and you don't have to be thirsty anymore. You don't have to chase after the things of this world any longer. Jesus answers her and he gives her a very clear answer of what she is to do. It seems a little bit confusing to us. But this is what he says in verse 21. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him 
must worship in spirit and truth. See, she was worried about where she could go to make a sacrifice based on what she knew of God. She was required for her sins to go somewhere. Her father said to go to this mountain. Jesus, she thought, would say, go to Jerusalem to make your sacrifice to get right with God. But Jesus says that the hour is coming. In fact, it's now here, woman. Hear me, friend. You no longer are going to worship Jesus according to your tradition, according to things that you don't really understand or you don't know. You're going to worship God in a whole new way. And you're going to worship God in the way that I tell you, in spirit and in truth. It's not any longer going to be about where. It's not going to be any longer about you at all. There's a time when true worshipers will worship the only one who is worthy of worship. The one that at the end of this text in verse 26 would say, I am he. This is what true worship looks like. Jesus says, true worshipers who will worship me will worship in spirit and truth. I'm going to start with truth. What does that mean that we worship in truth? Here's the amazing thing. Great theologian J.I. Packer wrote a book called Knowing God. And the premise of knowing God is the amazing reality that we as the created can know our creator. That we can know God. That should blow our minds. When we think about that we can know God. I want you to imagine. Lego's still a thing. Legos were real big in my day, all right? I want you to imagine that the Lego could know you as you build it and could respond, could talk back, saying, ah, you didn't get that right. We need a three instead of a four. It should blow our minds that we can know God. And what Jesus says is that we're going to know God. We can know him and worship him in truth. And the way that we know God is through this book that God has revealed himself to us. He revealed himself to us first in the person of Jesus and then when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit inspired men to write down all that he wants us to know about himself. And we have it preserved for us in this book. And this book is trustworthy. It has lasted. It has survived every attack against it that has ever been brought by man. And we still have it today. History, time, separation on different continents cannot pre pre prevent God from revealing himself to us. We can know God. And many of us have wrong thinking about God. A wrong understanding of who God is because we've never looked in the book to understand who God is. Like the Samaritan woman, we worship God perhaps just based on tradition because my parents did it this way. But your parents did it that way and that's okay. No, Jesus says there's a whole new way and I have written it down in this book. And we worship God in spirit and truth. In our heads, we can know. Worship is not just an emotion. In fact, it's not an emotion at all. It's knowledge of who God is. Contrasted with knowledge of who we are and understanding that God still loves you unconditionally and nothing will ever change that. That's the truth that God's word teaches us. And in that truth, in the knowledge of that truth, we respond. We worship the way, the truth, and the life.
King Jesus. Jesus says also that God's people will worship in spirit. Worship in spirit, meaning at the very core of who we are. It won't just be head knowledge. It'll be head knowledge that results in heart transformation. And the Holy Spirit of God, here's the promise of Jesus. My nine new brothers and sisters, I don't know where all of you are sitting right now. But here's what I want you to know what happened. When you received Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you proclaimed him as king of your life, Jesus said in his word that the Holy Spirit of God, his spirit came and indwelled you, lives within you now. And he informs you. He, when you read your Bible, is who helps you understand it. He helps you know him. And it's at the depth of our soul that we know God. See, worship is not an outward expression. It's not just singing, not just singing on Sunday mornings, not just singing anytime. It's not just listening to the proclaimed word of God as we sit here together and open up God's word. No, that's not what worship just is. It is those things. But worship is an internal thing. What we do with our hands, what we do with our voices, what we do Outwardly, it's just an expression of what is happening internally as we know God in spirit or truth and spirit. As we know him and we understand that he knows us. So as I wrap up, I know you were getting nervous. Just three quick points that I want to share with you. You've heard this, students already, parents, I want you to know this. We are all worshipers and we're always worshiping. As I think about all these college leaders, let me tell you what many of their testimonies would be if they shared how God sort of moved in their life and spurred them on in their faith. They will tell you that they knew their parents worshiped Jesus in spirit and truth. They understood that when they were drugged to church, even before they wanted to be here, that their parents' worship of Jesus was sincere. You want to see your children continue to walk with the Lord and to be spurred on in their faith, to make an impact for the kingdom of God? Let us all be worshipers of God. And let us all understand that we're always worshiping and let go of those small things that will not satisfy us and take hold of the drink of water that only Jesus can offer. Worship him. The question isn't if we are worshiping, it's what we are worshiping. And Jesus is the only object of worship that is worthy. Two, when we understand our sinfulness, and the grace of Christ which we have received, we can't help but worship him. Do you want to know why I have tears when I walk up here? It's not just seeing these kids do all these things. I know that I am not worthy of even being able to speak God's name. And he calls me a son. And more than that, he lets me be a part of all of this. His mercy is more. I know myself well. I know all of the things that I've tried to drink from that have not satisfied. 
And I have found the one that satisfies, and his name is Jesus. And when I understand that, because I know that at the depth of my soul, I cannot help but respond and worship him. The woman saw Jesus. She understood that he knew her sin and he did not condemn her. He spoke to her and he offered her his life. You are not condemned, friend. Jesus, hear me. In some mysterious way, I don't understand why or how, is speaking to you right now. You are not condemned. You are loved unconditionally by Almighty God. Just let go of the things that have distracted you and give your life to him. Worship him. Three, as I said, worshiping the Lord is not just an external thing. Students, You perhaps more or as much as any of us, not more, but as much as any of us, will be tempted to think that it's your behaviors, it's your external actions that dictate God's love for you, his favor over you, his presence with you. We worship in spirit and truth and we recognize in our minds that we are far from God. We have all of the knowledge of all the ways that we live for ourselves and worship ourselves. But Jesus came to us this weekend and this morning he says, you're right I don't condemn you, and he invites you to taste and see that the Lord is good. And it's in the internal understanding of that that our hearts and minds, we worship Jesus. Philippians 3.3, Paul said this to the Philippian church. Worshipers worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ. We put no confidence in the flesh. I don't put confidence in my actions, in my external The things that I do with my life, what I put my confidence in, is a king who's worthy of my life, a king who purchased my life. And I want you to just look and see what happens. This won't be on the screen for you, but in John chapter 4, 39 through 42, perhaps you can look at this again over lunch. Look what happens when the woman returns to her town after leaving the well. In verse 39, it says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told them all that I, I, all I had ever did. He knew me. He knew exactly all of the problems that I had, and he still loved me. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. But here's the amazing thing. Verse 42, I love this verse. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we have believed, For we have heard for ourselves now, and we know this indeed is the Savior of the world. When worshipers live for Jesus and worship Jesus with their whole lives, at first there's going to be people that will come up to you and talk to you, and they'll see there's something about you, there's something different than you. And you'll introduce them to the truth of God's Word. We have an opportunity to do that. Parents, this is what I'm talking about. When we worship Jesus, our kids watch us. And then they go out into the world and we go out into the workplace and we live as worshipers of Jesus with everything in our lives. And eventually, people say, I don't need to hear about Jesus from you any longer because I have come to know him myself. I know that he's the savior of the world because he's my savior. Missions exist because worship does not. God has given us a mission to bring the hope of Christ to a thirsty world that is searching for life in all of the wrong places. All the small gods, they're like jolly ranchers. They only make us more thirsty when we realize 
how temporary their satisfaction is. Some of y'all missed that. Study it up a little bit later. God is on a mission to create worshipers who worship him because they know the hope, the peace, the joy that Christ offers. We, we do D now, we put this together because we take seriously God's calling on our lives to be a part of what he's doing in making worshipers. We are the Samaritan woman. This is who City Church is. If you're a guest with us, this is what I want you to know about our church. We are the Samaritan woman who have met Jesus and we're running into town to tell everyone that might listen to us or hear our words, there is a God who loves you completely. And my prayer, our prayer for each and every one of you is that you wouldn't just step back into life. You wouldn't leave this place and forget the encounter that you had with Jesus this morning or perhaps over this entire weekend. We're going to respond to Jesus in worship right now, an outward expression of worship. As we do this, I want you to know our elders and our staff are going to be out in the aisles. And if you've had an encounter with Jesus, I just want to invite you. I want to invite you to respond to come and find us. We'd love nothing more than to pray with you. Students, your leaders are still here sitting right with you. Perhaps that conversation you had last night, the Spirit of God has been moving in such a way that you want to respond. You want to respond to him. Talk to them, even now as we sing. So let's stand. Let's remember the encounter with Christ that we had. Let's talk to Jesus. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.